Hello everyone, it's Floyd again here at Engineers. Um, I'm really pleased to say today we're joined by Rosaria Silipo, Head of Data Science at NIME. For those of you who don't know, NIME are a free-to-use, open-source, low-code data platform that makes understanding data and analytic workflows accessible to everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about a range of topics, including what is low-code, some of the common misconceptions, model training, and the importance of MLOps and the use of large language models. Firstly, Rosaria, thank you very much for joining Engineers today. It's a, it's a real privilege to welcome you to the podcast and to share with our community more about you, NIME, and the exciting journey that you're all on as well. So thank you for inviting me. Let's kick me. things off firstly with an No, you're welcome. And let's kick things off firstly with an introduction to you. Give us a brief overview, your background, where you are today and your remit within the business as well. Okay, so um, I'm Rosaria Silipo. I work with NIME. I am the head of the evangelist group here at NIME of the data science evangelist group. I have worked in this field of data science since forever. <laughs> so since the early <laughs> 90s, my thesis on uh, my master thesis was about neural networks at that time in the early 90s. So you can imagine how long I've been around. Um, so uh, I moved, uh, so I, I did some work um, in, in artificial intelligence at that time was already called artificial intelligence for a while, then there was a bit of a freeze um, for the artificial intelligence field. And then it, it came back uh, at the, in the year 2000 or something. So since then, I, since then I've uh, uh, worked as a consultant, I've worked for companies, I've worked for speech recognition companies, I've worked for um, credit card transaction companies, so a, a, a lot of experience. And then at the end, I uh, ended up at NIME and I, let's say, used my experience to teach the younger people and to make use cases so that everybody could use them. <laughs> Good, makes sense. And so talk to us about your role today with NIME in the sense of um, the team that you're leading and exactly what you're responsible for. So um, what an evangelist does, and nobody knows what an evangelist is. I mean, my mom is happy <laughs> about the title, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, the, what, what, um, so what we do, basically, we teach. We are a bit uh, in, in between uh, technical um, expertise, uh, teaching, and marketing. So we um, tell everybody how fantastic it is to work with data science, the great results that they can achieve, and especially if they use a low-code approach like NIME has. Um, I say that it's at the cross of these three disciplines because, uh, of course, there is a lot of teaching, not only the traditional teaching, so in courses and videos and things like that, but also, you know, like challenges, hackathons, and more like gamification kind of teaching. Um, so this, this is a bit the part that is the uh, hardcore teaching. But then we also write, we write books, we write, we write blog posts, we write uh, posts on social media. So all these uh, smaller, less traditional ways of teaching, they are a bit like more marketing because we want to, there we want to also promote, uh, you know, how much faster it is to use low code to implement a, a data science, a data science solution. And then sometimes to uh, advertise this kind of uh, uh, successful solutions, we need to implement the technical solution. And to implement the technical solutions, then of course we need to get our hands dirty and provide uh, a solution, a fully functioning solution that can be used by end users, um, customers, or any kind of end users. 
yeah, so this is a, it was a good one. overview. So you're still getting your hands dirty or not so much these days? Uh, <laughs> me, not so much anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do sometimes when I, you know, from time to time, we have these uh, retreats where we are supposed to do what we like. And yeah, then, then yes, then I, I find a use case or find a problem and I try to solve it. And then it's fun. But yeah, a lot of times I, yeah, I teach and I uh, tell younger people what they could do. Uh, yeah, my role now at the moment is more like an inspirational role. So what people could That's do. really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting how you're, because of course, um, you were, your background is very much technical and, and even with nine, yeah. right? So it's kind of progressed to, it's not, it's certainly not a role within businesses that you see very often, but I think it's, I imagine it's quite powerful internally to have the knowledge and resource that you have and, and to be able to deploy that as you do as well. Yeah, so sometimes I, I, I think my, my role is really to, to inspire people, you know. Uh, especially if you are very young in the field, uh, you don't know how powerful it can be. And and sometimes people, they get a bit, uh, they don't dare to to dream too much. <laughs> and then sometimes my <laughs> role is just to, you know, to push them a bit and see, yeah, it's it's possible. Of course, we, you know, or we find a solution that it's easier or faster or something like that. And then at the end, it's fantastic when they see that uh, it, it's actually the whole thing came together and it's a nice solution it's it's fantastic to see how happy you know how satisfied they are with the with the whole project so yeah i think that's a bit my role now to I, i'm an enabler <laughs> i'm i tell enabler. younger people yeah one. how how far they can dream and uh the, the shortcuts they can take uh you know for best practices in the implementation of the solutions sure. that's a bit yeah what i do i also yeah i don't know it's a it's a bit of a i also teach them how to write it's not only the technical part i also teach them how to write the soft skills you know how to okay. how to tell Fine. them so it's a bit of everything yeah it is uh, often it's underestimated um how much soft skills you need to progress in this field because even if you have the perfect solution but you are not able to explain it uh, or, you know, you are not able also to create an interface that allows the final user to use it easily, smoothly, uh, then, then it's useless, right? It can be the perfect, the most perfect solution, but then nobody will use it and then it will die. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's a, absolutely, I completely agree. I think it's probably an underrated thing yeah. that not many people talk about. Now, for for listeners who don't know about Nime, I think it would be really good to give some more context around the backstory of the business, um, exactly what Nime is, um, and what it is that you're offering your user base uh, as well. So I think you're probably the perfect person to go through this. But give us give us the story of Nime and, and what it is that you do. Yeah. So as an evangelist, uh, we we don't deal with money. So I'll tell you my point of view. So my point of view, Nine produces two products. Um, one is the Nine Analytics platform. Nine Analytics platform is free. It's open source. It's low code, and it covers all your need for data science. So I usually say that's the intelligent product in the sense that it contains all the algorithms and all the the data operations that you need to bring your data from A to B. And then there is another product. This is the business hub, the nine business hub. And this one basically gives you the infrastructure, the IT infrastructure to smoothly productionize the solution that you have created with the uh, free part. It's a different audience. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> it's a different audience. So 
the um, open source product is used by everybody and everybody can create an AI solution, for example. The business app is mainly for the companies. So if you need to really productionize your <coughs> solution for everybody to use without ever touching what's inside, then in this case, it's more like a company kind of business. And then in this case, it's a non-open source. It's not free. You need a license. Uh, yeah, so it's a slightly different business. But they serve the two different purposes. One creates uh, the solution uh, using data operations, ETL, AI, machine learning. Um, so all uh, the algorithms and techniques that are used uh, to process data. And the other one enables the productionization of the solution that you have created. So even if you have a, a model, you have, you have trained the best model ever, then you deploy it, you build an application that allows the end user to use it, and then you productionize this deployment uh, workflow. Um, and, uh, and then you can, in the Nine Business app, it's easy to make it available for everybody to use, for example, as a data app, as a web page, as a um, I don't know, a REST service as a, yeah, whatever you, you want to make it available as. <clears throat> so okay, this is how. So it's really powerful in helping to automate, right? Yeah. Automate that process. Yeah. And... Yeah. Okay. So it's, it, this, those are the, the two products by name. Uh, we are definitely committed to the open source part. <laughs> we have always been open source. So this, uh, I don't know, we believe that it's not only that we want to make things for free uh, for everybody, but we want our solution to be open to all different data sources out there. I know that everybody thinks that AI is about the algorithms, but often AI is about how much data you can ingest uh, from different data, <coughs> data sources. So you have now many, many data sources, and the problem is how to collect this data, keep it clean regularly, build a history. Uh, so, and that's the part that then is going to feed the machine learning algorithm. Um, yeah, so this part, we, we always wanted to keep it open source. We wanted to keep it open, so as a way to connect to different data sources and also to um, connect, uh, to integrate with different um, tools like Python or R. Uh, I mean, we use the low code, but if the low code uh, is, uh, um, is somehow the, our solution is not enough, you can always integrate with Python and with R. Okay. Um, yeah, what else can I say? Ah, we, we also uh, decided to go for the low code. That's a decision that we took long time ago. Uh, it's a choice. Uh, I mean, some people like to code. Uh, some people don't like or don't have the time to keep up with the coding uh, knowledge. So we decided to use the low code for all those professionals that they have another profession <laughs> and they only <laughs> analyze the data on the side. So like doctors or uh, pharma people or... Um, I don't know, um, finance people. So uh, they, they know how to analyze data, but they don't always have the time to keep up with the programming. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you in terms of kind of where you see Nine being most successfully deployed in terms of customer base and, and, and so on. Is it exactly what you just explained? Maybe um, less, let's call them kind of tech first folk that maybe need the platform to help kind of automate and understand certain data, but maybe don't have the power internally to be able to do that manually? So there are, uh, there, I mean, NIME is used in a lot of things. So it, it's a horizontal tool. So it's used in finance, it's used in healthcare, it's used in pharma, and it's, uh, manufacturing, so a lot of things. 
Uh, there are two kinds too. There are many kinds of users. Uh, there are the users, let's say, let's uh, group them in two categories just to be very, very coarse here. Uh, so one category is uh, what we have said before, uh, like, you know, professionals, they don't know how to program or they don't want to keep up with the latest knowledge in programming. And then they use NIME as, a, uh, as an alternative, um, basically, to, to Python or to R or to other, or other programming tools, um, scripting tools. Um, so this is, uh, this is one type, but there are also the programmers. So a lot of Python uh, developers, they also use NIME. Um, there are many uh, reasons why they use NIME. So one, for example, is that they have a script, but uh, if you pass the script to somebody who can't program, they are never going to use it, right? Or they use it as long as it works. They believe blindly in what the script uh, produces, and then, you know, they use it. But of course, it's, it's, it's a bit of a blind trust exercise in whatever the script produces if you cannot, uh, you know, go through it and see that it has produced the things that you wanted to. Um, so sometimes they uh, give the script uh, as a, um, they build it as a node uh, inside a NIME workflow. Uh, you know, since NIME is low code, uh, basically you build a pipeline of these blocks. Each block has a dedicated task and we call them nodes. So that's why and a pipeline of nodes is a workflow. The workflow implements your application. I just make this parenthesis because I talk about nodes and workflows and maybe people don't know what I mean. Um, so some, some Python developers, they put their code inside a node, and then the node gets imported uh, as a normal node, as any other node inside the workflow, and then people can still feed the right data or produce or uh, process the output of this Python script in the way they want, so that they, are, uh, they obtain the, the data in the format they want. Um, so this is one way that the Python developers use NIME. Uh, another way is that actually it's faster. So if you uh, want to uh, produce um, an application and, you know, and sometimes you need to, you need to put together the code. And if it's an easy code, you do copy and paste from the web and maybe it works. And so, and then you, I mean, it, it's, it takes longer. So sometimes they just use NIME. Uh, it takes, it's, it's faster. They train the model, they have it ready. And so even if they are Python programmers, they use NIME for the, uh, the things that, um, NIME can do, and then they only reach out to Python for special extensions that uh, NIME doesn't have. Um, so th there are a bunch of Python okay. users that actually uh, uh, use NIME. Ah, a third group of Python users that use NIME is that they develop nodes for NIME. So NIME, um, the nodes can be developed by the community. Uh, they used to be developed in Java, okay. uh, but now we have added an extension, I think one year ago, uh, we have added an extension so that they can develop their own node for the community to use in Python. So this is another category okay. of Python users. So we have a, a hardcore group of Python users also among the nine <laughs> users, yeah. yeah. That's a really good overview, I appreciate that. And it sounds super versatile as well, which I think is it's quite unique. Now, I'm interested to cover the topic of low code because I know when we first met, it was a topic that we discussed um, uh, and what it actually means. So maybe for our viewers or listeners that, that don't know exactly what low code is, talk to me about that, what it means for uh, businesses like NIME and, and exactly how, how it works. Yeah, so I gave already a quick presentation, a quick uh, summary before. So low code is, uh, you know, are all those... Uh, um, pipeline those those applications that allow you to put together an application by drag and drop basically you have the blocks they uh, each block uh, implement a specific function 
uh, you just drag and drop it and then function after function, block after block, uh, node after node, then you build the whole application. So this is how low code works. Um, it's a, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's not that we have invented it. So it, it, it's something that a lot of <laughs> other uh, tools use. And frankly, it's spreading because it's, it's easier. It's easier also for people, not only who don't know how to code, but it's easier to put together and blocks are, you know, they are a bit coarser than uh, instructions sometimes. And uh, yeah, and then you have the whole thing already prepared, the three, four blocks are the same as a long script uh, in, in whatever uh, scripting tool you want to use. So it, it makes life a bit easier, uh, faster, more than easier and faster. And so why not? <laughs> so this is a bit, sure. the, uh, yeah, the, the philosophy. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's how Nime works. Of course, Nime also has a core, uh, which are the basic functions. It's actually very powerful. Uh, so the, the, there, there is a core that contains the basic functions around the data, uh, the basic algorithms. But then, of course, the community provides more and more extensions. So we provide the code, we provide the framework, okay. but then the community adds the image processing extension, the text processing extension, um, the geolocation extension. So there are a number of... Uh, um, institutions, research institute, universities, single contributors, companies, they all contribute with some kind of an extension to extend uh, the, uh, the usage of, of NIME. Sure. And it's becoming more and more complex and more and more powerful as the as time goes on, right, with the, with the open source for sure. And I think another topic I was interested by is a lot of people, I think, perceive low code as, as I think you described it before, as kind of toy tools, right? Um, with a with a misconception that it can only perform basic tasks. So, talk to us about your perception here. Um, how complex can low code be? Um, and maybe you can share some insights as to examples of kind of more basic performance or applications versus actually some of the more complex and and kind of difficult tasks. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I've been working in this field, as I said, for a very, very long time. <laughs> so I have plenty of use <laughs> cases from before NIME, but then I imported them into NIME. So I re-elaborated the same um, use cases that I sold using programming um, into NIME. Um, so I started the first ever, ever use case I worked on is a churn prediction. Everybody starts with a churn prediction and every company needs a churn prediction tool. Everybody, because, you know, you always want to know if your customers, if your faithful customers are going to churn. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, you have to. So uh, the churn prediction is a very easy now, by now, very easy at that time was kind of innovative, but it's very easy. It's a very easy uh, application. You take the data, you have a bunch of customers, some churned, some didn't based on uh, uh, this data set, this training set that um, of, of mixed customers who somebody churned, somebody didn't, uh, you train an algorithm and this model uh, will uh, learn based on which input features some customers will churn, have a high probability to churn and which customers don't. So it's relatively easy. Um, this one, actually, there is an old video that on YouTube that uh, where I promised that I would assemble together this churn prediction solution in less than uh, 20 minutes. And so you can check it. It's very old. So it's from <laughs> NIME, I think, 2.7. So now we are at NIME 5.1. So you can imagine how many versions ago. Okay. Yeah. So this was the first one. <laughs> maybe we'll link that in the comments. I think maybe we <laughs> it's can on YouTube. share a link you can, you can check it churn out. prediction with views. NIME, yeah. I don't know. It, I want to take it out because it's it's old by now, right? It's it's the old version. It's the old name. It's it's old. 
but I don't know, it's kind of vintage. <laughs> so everybody <laughs> looks nostalgic. <laughs> it has many views, so I, I leave it there. It's the only one that survives the old version. Um, so this is the, the easy um, solutions. I mean, they're still powerful because you, because you can still predict which customers will churn and which not, but it's a relatively easy implementation. Um, I mean, after that, I worked on predictive maintenance, for example, uh, and here things became a bit more complicated because, um, you know, when you... Um, there are some of these manufacturing companies, they have very uh, expensive and very um, critical machines. So <clears throat> these machines, they have been so expensive that you want them to work as much as possible because you have to somehow, you know, justify the money you have, you have spent. On the other side, you don't want them to break because they are critical uh, piece of machinery. And if they break, everything breaks. And so you want to be careful, you know, that you know they work as much as possible, but they don't break. So what uh, used to be done is um, you, um, um, after some time, you retire the machine, and yeah, even if there was some time left, some lifetime left for the machine, well, what can we do? Uh, so this was what happened. Now in the latest predictive maintenance trend, uh, what um, data scientists try to do, they try to predict when the machine is going to break. And then you are going to substitute it or repair it or inspect it. I don't know now, it depends on the, mach on the machinery. You are going to um, take an action when there are some alarms, <coughs> sorry, some alarms that uh, uh, tell you that the machine is not working properly anymore. So it has become an exercise of prediction uh, of when the machine is going to break. Now, that seems easy, like the churn prediction, but it's not. Because since these uh, machineries are very expensive or very critical, they don't, nobody has, allows them to break. If they break, it's a disaster. So there are data sets, training sets, where you have tons of examples of um, um, sensory data uh, for, uh, for the machine working in normal conditions. But then you have very, 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 very few examples, if any, of the machine breaking up because they don't allow them to break up. So at the end, you have to train a model on only normal data to predict both classes, to predict when it's breaking and when it's working. And that's, of course, that's not possible. That's, that's, that's hard. So the thing that uh, uh, the solution, the creative solution there is that uh, you um, uh, train a model to predict the working, um, the normal working values. If these values, um, you know, then you make you calculate the difference between the, the real value and the predicted value. If this difference is no is small, then probably the prediction was correct. Since the model was trained on the normal value, uh, then the machine is working properly. If the distance is the difference is very high, then it means that the machine, the model, as wasn't wasn't able to predict correctly the uh, real value. And that means that probably since it was trained in normal condition, the machine is not working in normal condition. Now, this is just an alarm. It doesn't right. tell you that the machine is going to break. Maybe it's the temperature that is not correct. Maybe it's a spike in the energy. I don't know. It could be just, I don't know, the, day, the, the spike of the day. But still, it's an alarm. So there are then you have a bunch of spikes. 
And uh, of course, these spikes cannot, they, they don't say much. So what they sometimes do, they uh, calculate a, a moving average or a sum of these spikes over a, a moving window. And then if uh, the number of spikes in this moving window is high enough, then the alarm is fired. Something like that. So this is another solution okay. that I've implemented. That, that's also, also a few years ago. It's not something uh, that recent. <clears throat> and this was, uh, um, let's say, innovative at the time, um, relatively complex. <laughs> um, so it required a lot of post-processing of the output of the model. Uh, of course, training the model, whatever model you wanted to use. This was a time series analysis problem. Uh, but we did the same also with a fraud detection problem. It's the same problem. You want to identify the rare cases of fraud, but you don't have examples because when the fraud patterns constantly change. Yeah. yeah. So but in so you, so instead you you judge where it should be and when it wavers from that, then that's like you say, that's an alarm for you to maybe check it out. Something's right. not right. Right. Okay. Um, so this was Understood. another another example. Um, then I mean, then I've done a lot of things. I've done so I once, as I said, uh, then I moved a bit more into the uh, into the the leading role. But then once I had a bit of time, and I created a a, a generative AI model uh, to generate lyrics for rap songs. I had a lot of fun there. Uh, yeah, so I downloaded to... a number of rap songs, the the lyrics, and and then I trained a small model. It was a uh, long short-term memory and um, I was giving <clears throat> so I trained the model to predict the next character so I was giving character by the sequence of characters to feed the uh, long short-term memory network and then the, the long short-term memory network was supposed to predict the next character then I was feeding the predicted character back into the input and so on and so on and then the whole lyrics lyric was generated uh, it was fun yeah that was that was wow. actually easy was it was it accurate was I mean, it, so I did it for the rap songs. For the rap songs, work worked okay. I think it's because the grammar and the whole <laughs> text was not that yeah. uh, complicated. Then I did it also for the Shakespeare tragedies, and that was a much more complicated problem because the text okay. is a yeah. is a bit more complex. Um, so the 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 biggest problem, of course, was the training time. Um, that, that's why you know these these large language models that it's not it's a huge exercise in engineering uh, because you have to collect keep collecting data and then feed this data in these huge models and then it takes a lot of time and then of course you have to uh, speed it up and so at that time with the uh, rep songs it didn't take much time because the data set was relatively small it took a few hours uh, with a gpu to train but for for example for uh, the shakespeare tragedies it took much longer so despite the gpu much was a day or so, uh, a bit longer, a few days, yeah, of training. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it was the same model, actually, just different data and different training times. Yeah. Sure, it's fascinating with generative AI. I think with, especially in in the last year or so, with with how fast um, I think it's become a lot more democratized. So a lot more people are aware of it. Maybe that aren't technical, but I think how how quickly it's developing as well and what it's capable of is is amazing, right? Um, now, I think one topic I wanted to cover is I think there's a large complexities when it comes to actually training of models, right? And and when we talk about models, depend regardless of application or what they're doing, um, of course there's complexities to building any model. Um, again, depending on the data sets that you've got as well, but um, and the outcome that you're trying to achieve. But can you give us some insight 
into what actually happens once a model is, has, has been trained. Um, and ultimately, what do you then need to do to, to deploy that model so that it's readily available for whether it's your customers or your application specifically? What's the, because I think it's one thing, as I think we touched on at the start, is building this amazing, incredible model. Um, but then how do you actually make that deployable? How do you make it feasible? usable thing? That's a very, very interesting question. So uh, uh, all these, uh, the, the, the three use cases the, that I uh, described before, they were all developed with the just, just with the Nime Analytics platform. So with the um, open source, uh, free, low code uh, product of Nime. Um, so after, for example, the, the rap song example, um, you know, it, it was fun. It was, I don't know how useful it was, but it was fun. And, uh, and I wanted to make it available for everybody because everybody could generate his own rap song at that time. So I wanted to generate a web application where people could write their first 150 characters and then the model would generate the lyrics starting from these 150 characters. Um, so then how do you make it available for everybody? At the end of these whole training exercises, I only had one neural network that was able to predict the next character if you give him a sequence of characters. That's all he could, he could do. So um, I had to build a web application. In the web application, I had to build, you know, the whole form and inter user, user uh, interaction. And then I had to, uh, you know, to build uh, some kind of sequence where people could write uh, the first 150 characters, then generate the lyrics or something like that. And then I wanted people to print the lyric that was generated and then go home with their, you know, happy lyric. Um, so to do that, uh, this is the deployment phase. Uh, it's unbelievable how many people, how many students, especially coming out of the university, know how to train a model 99% accuracy, but then they don't know how to deploy it to make it actually to be used. Um, so uh, in NIME, uh, then you, um, you take your model, you build the application around it, and then you transfer it onto the Nine Business Hub. And that, that makes it already available as a, a web application. So you already have, there are some nodes where you can, um, vi um, you can implement visual components of a web page with a visual parts of a web page. So you, you, know, you tell here, I want to have my um, text box where people can write, here I want to have the text, here I want, and then you feed um, you know, whatever is the result, here I want the results, and then you feed the part with the results with the model that you have under that. So this one was relatively easy. And then at the end, I would have a little, um, a little laptop and the people would write you know, their, their own things, uh, their own uh, 150 characters at the beginning, and then they would get their own lyrics to print. So this is relatively easy once you know how you want to deploy it, if it's going to be a, data, a web application, a data app, or if you, if you want it to be a REST service, because then of course you have to use different nodes for the deployment workflow. Once you have this deployment workflow, you just move it onto the business hub and then it becomes automatically the REST service you wanted or the data app you wanted. So this is the part. And this is the part that is missing a lot uh, from the knowledge of the just graduated people. Um, I, we do challenges often with universities. And when I, so I give a, 
a presentation. And usually I always ask if I can give the presentation where I explain the difference between training, uh, the, the training application and the deployment application. And they, I don't know, it's like, you know, their eyes open and, and they, they discover a complete new world and finally they understand what, the, uh, you know, the importance of the, the accuracies. Um, it, then it becomes practical because uh, then, you know, it's, it's useful to have 99% accuracy and three more months of training, or is it okay to stop at 96% and we start tomorrow with people using that? Uh, so then it, it all clicks, right? Because the deployment, that it, we do the whole thing for the deployment, for people to be able to use maybe an imperfect solution, but usable solution. Yeah. Sure. I think, and it's a really, it's a really good point. And I think something um, I've seen a lot, especially being in recruitment, of course, is when you, when, when someone who maybe is coming from academia or purely re research projects, there's always that question of when they're going to, let's say, a commercial business and a product focused business, um, having that mindset of being able to actually push it out to the customer and understand what the customer needs. So you're, you're absolutely right. I think the, the, the balance between being able to train a model um, in a fantastic way with with great technical mm -hmm. ability, and then also balance that with understanding what the customer will do, how they will use it, the usability, the user experience, depending on your product, of course, it's a fascinating yeah. balance. So certainly sounds like one that you're pushing on on anyone and everyone that joins Nine for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. At the end, that's the goal, right? Everybody's goal is not the model; is how it's used. Exactly that, and and. Next, I wanted to the kind of the data science field fascinates me from um, I mean, you've certainly been in the field for for, for longer than I have. But um, even in the last few years, I think it's remarkable how how it's evolved um, when we talk about data science and we consider um, everything within it. So whether it be analysts, data engineering, machine learning, um, all facets of kind of AI and how data science ties into that. Um, I think there was a previous dynamic where often all of those skill sets that we talk about, the analysis, the data engineering, machine learning would, would quite often be rolled into one. Um, whereas I think these days it's maybe more common that you you take a, a more narrow path and specialize in a particular area, right? Um, when it comes to training models and then deploying them as we've discussed, what's your perception on on what individuals need to specialize in in order to do both because i think anyone listening to this or watching this maybe they're graduate maybe they're um, they're not sure what direction they want to go in um, what areas of data science the huge field of data science would you say are most critical to be to be excellent at, at kind of training yeah. and deploying these things yeah i think we touched a bit on this topic already so when you have um the creation of these models um, you have many parts. It used to be that there was the data scientist that does everything, some kind, some kind of wizard, and he does everything. It didn't work very well. <laughs> so now that they're yeah. specializing, don't know how effective it was. Yeah. yeah. So now they're specializing. So there is the data scientist, still the original figure. That's the one that takes care of training the algorithm and and having a model at the end that has a sufficiently good performance. But then you know the, it's not only the model, as I said before. It's a, th those um, um, the bigger the model, the bigger the exercise in engineering in, is. So you need for a big model, you need a lot of data. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're going to overfitting. And so, it, I mean, you, you need a lot of data. To need a lot of data, you need a lot of data that is clean and collected. 
to need a lot of data clean and collected, you need a data engineer. So this is, this is how it is. So the success of the model at the end depends on the success of the data engineering pipeline before the model. So the one that prepares the, the data. Sure. That's why, so recently, close to the data scientist figure, the data engineer figure has emerged. Um, so this, this figure is the one that is responsible not only for uh, um, collecting the data, uh, cleaning it up, um, making, it, making it available in the KPIs that people need or you know, something like that, but it's also available for the versioning because if something has changed in the data, the model will change. So they, are also, uh, they also need to somehow keep track of all the um, different versions of the data set and they need to keep track also of, uh, of the changes that have been made. If there is uh, another KPI that has been created or another um, cleaning procedure that has been uh, introduced. So all these things have to be documented and, and versioned. So it's, it's a whole new discipline now, the data engineering, and it's necessary because um, without good data, the model is not, especially in these uh, massive amounts, the model cannot, cannot do much. Um, uh, another kind of figure is a kind of, uh, um, so the one that uh, uses the data not to train a model, but more like to present uh, statistics or results. So these, those are more like the traditional analyst of the data. And then close to this figure, now there is a new figure emerging, emerging which is the machine learning engineers. And those are the ones that uh, um, they tweak the parameters of the model and they also um, supervise the uh, deployment part of the model that has been trained. So there are many different um, smaller, so smaller, not smaller, but more um, focused figures, professional figures in the field of data science. It's not like it used to be before that it was just a data scientist. Yeah. Of course. And I, I think, it, I guess part of that evolution as well as the pure scale, right? I think it's, if you, if you look back in time, I guess the, in terms of the, how you would be, how would you, how you would extract certain data and the size of that data would be comparably much smaller to what we're able to achieve these days, right? So I guess with that, in terms of scalability, I think it, it certainly makes perfect sense as to why there's those niche skill sets for sure. Um, and I think it's great for anyone listening that maybe is interested in getting into the field in, in understanding the importance of understanding that entire chain. And, and that's not to say to try and be an expert at every stage, but understanding the role that a data engineer plays, understanding the role that an analyst may play, a machine learning engineer, and so on. And I think even then, um, uh, how then software engineers and software engineering then comes into play at what I would call the kind of front end once a product is actually being deployed to customers. Because um, I often hear, not arguments, but I think disagreements between how data and software kind of merge together and work together. I think sometimes it can be treading on each other's toes in lots of businesses, right? So I think it's it's a great exercise to kind of understand that full process so that whatever you yeah. specialize in, you can deploy your own work in the best way that's going to benefit those around you as well, right? So it's an interesting topic and, and a very broad one. Yeah. Um, now, another interesting topic is large language models. And I think um, it's certainly a hot topic these days. I think in the last couple of years with the likes of um, OpenAI, ChatGPT, and, and all the other the kind of famous things that we're hearing about, um, and of course, LLMs, as they're known, are, are so paramount to being able to handle huge amounts of data and yeah. build the most powerful solutions. But there's often a discussion around 
utilizing external large language models that already exist or investing in building your own in-house. So talk to me about NIME's approach. Do, do you have your own large language model? What's your perception on the pros and cons of trying to build your own large language model in-house? versus kind of utilizing external? So I, talk, I told you already about the experience with training the, um, this generative AI to generate rap song lyrics and, and the, uh, the Shakespeare kind of text, right? It was long. I mean, to train that model, <laughs> it took very, very long. So NIME is not in this business. We are not in the business of collecting data and developing the largest model ever. So we provide the tool to do that if you want to do it. But then you have to collect your own data and you have to create your own model, train your own model and deploy your own model. You can do that, but we don't, we don't, we are sure. not in this kind of business. Um, so uh, we definitely would use external ones. Um, if, if somebody, so some, if somebody has already built it, why should we, should we, you know, um, spend, I don't know how long it takes, but it's going to take months before, you know, you train a model of that, this kind of size. Um, so yeah, then our, our approach is that we definitely would use something that is already available. Um, there is often this uh, uh, question, uh, is, is the large language model going to take the place of nine? Um, so, you know, because they say they can do everything. So I think the answer is definitely not <laughs> because the large, large <laughs> language models, they help you. I mean, you know, when you go around and you do the copy and paste of whatever somebody else has already done, a script or even a workflow, you know, a lot of people do stuff, they post it. You find it, you copy and paste yep. and you have it on your uh, on your workflow, on your um, canvas, um, you know, almost ready, not ready, but almost ready. That's what the large language model does. You tell him, I would like to have that. He gives you something that is already available on the, um, is already available on uh, on the web and then it's your starting point it's not perfect you probably have to know what you are doing to uh, fix it um, but it's a starting point it's your copy and paste instead of you doing the search he does it for you something like that <laughs> so it's a it's a it, it sure. makes your life uh, easier because it's faster but it doesn't uh, completely you know solve your problems it doesn't have your data it's, it's not the same um, so we, uh, our, I didn't do that, but our CEO uh, did an experiment with the ChatGPT, uh, and he uh, was uh, asking some questions about basic data science uh, algorithms, and then he would get the answer from ChatGPT and re-elaborate the, the basic answers that ChatGPT would produce and correct them in a uh, more precise and more kind of teaching way. Um, I mean, it, it, uh, the, the result, if you go into the Nine Press, so that's the book of the, of the month, uh, the result was uh, impressive, not so much for the quality, because the quality is quite basic, but for the time, because at the end, it took only a few days uh, to, to do some basic, um, you know, to assemble a basic uh, knowledge of, uh, of the machine learning algorithms. You can go into the Nine Press. It's the first, uh, the first book uh, that you can you, you see in the Nine Press page. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is a bit how I think we should use it. We use it for the basic stuff. They do the search for us, so it's great because I don't have to do it. Uh, but then, of course, <laughs> you, you need to know what you are doing and you need to, to build on that, on that to have a, a real kind product. Of like that. It's, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that can be the misconception. And lots of people that I talk to where maybe they're dealing with stakeholders internally that, that don't necessarily understand them. I think sometimes there can be a misconception that it's going to solve all of your problems, right? But I think it's a good description that you give around they're extremely powerful in laying those foundations and giving you some very quick kind of turnaround of answers that maybe you never would have got before. But it then needs that kind of specialist or human attention to then refine that and and build from that. So I think it's it's very interesting for me to see how much more powerful they become in the coming years, of course, but also how businesses learn to use them and adapt them in the in the most efficient way because they're not needed for everyone. Like you say, it doesn't Nimes business doesn't need an internal large language model because you've got external options whereas some companies might say we want to build our own um, and that's fine if they have the resources and it makes sense to do that but um, yeah it's an interesting topic for sure we have uh, actually we have used uh, so we we implemented um, a little feature uh, that uh, in the new version of nine analytics platform you can ask uh, uh, the ai agent uh, to build the workflow for you that does the task Um, it works i mean 80%. (laughs) Eighty <laughs> percent. Then of course you have to fix it. <laughs> but eighty percent it yeah. does. At least the beginning is ready, and yeah, you have to fix it. But I mean, it's a, it is impressive because I mean, eighty percent is a lot of work that you don't have to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think from a time perspective, mm-hmm. for sure. And when when if your customer is using Nyman and, and does that. Um, I assume it's completely on the customer to kind of quality yeah, of check course. that that workflow and then fix it rather than there's not like an automatic alarm that no, will go of course, off from, of from nine zen to say, this, hang yeah. on a minute. They still <laughs> need to know right. what they are doing. I mean, it's it's not something that you can just sure. automate completely. I mean, yeah, somebody has to check it <laughs> at least. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> when we are talking about easy now, stuff, if we talk about complex stuff, then of course that then the customer has to do the work. Sure, understood. Now, now before we wrap up, I think it's a discussion that we had, uh, and we just mentioned here the book uh, of your CEO, um, Michael. Now, and, and the book's interested because when you and I'll share the link in the comments um, to to the book for for our viewers and listeners that they can they can check it out. But um, it's twenty one analytics insights for data science, written by ChatGPT and Michael. Right, so, so it's a it's a joint collaboration between ChatGPT and, and Michael himself. So, but give our give our viewers and our listeners a brief overview of of exactly what that book's covering, um, the benefits that the book's going to give in terms of insight as well. I know, like I say, you've just covered off slightly, but. Yeah, so those are uh, examples, um, you know, um, some uh, explanation of how the algorithms work. Um, now, the, I don't, I don't know, I don't remember all of them, but there are many and how they can be applied. And um, so, you know, for example, what's a decision tree? How does a decision tree works? Um, so, kind of the basics, uh, the basic introduction to machine learning. It's not really a book, uh, a textbook. So it's not something that you, you know, study the lesson and then you do the exercise. <clears throat> it's more like, you know, this one works like that, and there is a story around that. And but it, yeah, it, it's it's very basic, uh, as I said before. But I mean, it could be an interesting um, reading um, for the people who want to get into the machine learning, like uh, as a hobby, <laughs> without having to study on a textbook. There is also the bloopers at the end. There is a section of bloopers at the end that basically shows what uh, ChatGPT 
couldn't absolutely do. For example, I think at some point he asked uh, to have a decision tree, a painted decision that was Dali. Uh, and he asked to have a, um, you know, an image of a decision tree, and it was actually a tree with some decisions attached. <laughs> <laughs> so there are these kind of things you know, that make sense based on the question, but they don't make sense uh, you know, in the data science perspective. So there are a bit of bloopers yeah, of sure. wrong answers or things that absolutely <laughs> ChatGPT did not understand. It's, it's interesting to see also the limitation of uh, of this kind of technology yeah. they can do something but really just something so the rest is on you yeah sure no i appreciate that and and i think like i say i'll share the link for anyone to to read i i'm going to have a brief look you can just as a short form to fill out it's completely free but it's an interesting topic yeah. to and an and exercise to run and i think it's good to it's good to show the good and the maybe not so good sides right where where it can generate really powerful answers, really accurate answers versus maybe um, more funny, less accurate answers. But it's just really, and I think the description of the book says it says it itself is take it with a grain of salt because, and I think that's in general how you should definitely be treating them is is make sure that you're double checking, triple checking the information that you're getting I, back from them. But um, I think it's interesting exactly to explore how far this technology can go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's only going to become more and more accurate, you would hope, right? But will it ever be, will it ever reach a point where it's um, 100% accurate? Um, well, hopefully not, because then I think everybody would be out of a job. But I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's certainly powerful, like you say, for the more tedious, the more basic tasks of, um, in many different industries, not just data science and programming, right? But or building models, but I think to build the foundations of projects that you're doing, time-consuming, and I think it gives gives you the opportunity to free up time for the more interesting things and uh, the more complex tasks that maybe it can't do. So um, let's watch this space, and maybe we'll do another podcast episode in a few years, and and things probably would have changed again. Absolutely, for <laughs> sure. But look. As as always, a, a massive thank you to to our guest Rosaria. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure to to host you and and have some great discussion. Thank you to everyone that's that's tuned in to um, to listen and to watch. Please feel free to like, share, comment, and give us as much exposure as possible. And hopefully, you've enjoyed this episode. Um, I will, as promised, in the links to to the podcast as well. I'll share the link to the book so that if you are interested in checking out um, what ChatGPT and, and the nine CEO managed to do together, then you absolutely can. Um, and feel free to go and check out Nine's uh, website and, and even careers page as well if you're interested in exploring the world of, of low code. But uh, once again, thank you, Rosaria. And for now, goodbye. Thank you. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.